Hi, Doug Hooley here on the Called Out Cafe podcast, series number two, on what the Bible has to say about the unseen realm that exists outside of physical reality. You know, that part of creation where angels and demons live in, along with the spirits of all of those who have ever died. The place where God Almighty interacts with that part of creation every day. The place where Jesus ascended into. What a taboo subject this has been, and what a shame that is. The Bible calls those who have been elect to salvation priests of God. If anyone should be informed about such a realm, it's the priests of God. And I'm not talking about the guy we humans pay to be clergy. I'm talking about those Jesus has appointed to the position of priest. Many say that there's just not enough information contained in the Bible to really know anything about that realm. That's simply not true. There's so much information that I'm going to fill many episodes of these podcasts by just scratching the surface on that subject. But today, I'm going to give you just a short summary of the topics we'll be covering by telling you the key points of what I am saying is true about the spirit realm. There's just not enough time in a single episode to provide you with the reasons I believe these things to be true. So, I'll give the scriptural references and my reasons for believing these things in future episodes when I discuss each of the topics in more detail. This episode will just serve as a pre-summary of what I'll be saying in all the future episodes. First, I'm saying that if we want to understand the intended meaning of Scripture, we need to understand the intended meaning of the human authors who wrote it, considering the time and culture they lived in and how they would have been understood by their contemporary intended recipients. The worldview they held during the times the various books making up the Bible were written was drastically different than ours regarding our views on many things, including the supernatural realm. This is not just interesting background information. Understanding these things helps to fundamentally define how the very words which make up Scripture should be translated and interpreted. Most have lost touch with the ancients' view of the supernatural realm, and the purpose of this series is to serve as a sampler regarding what their view of that realm most likely was, to help us today better understand Scripture in the context of when it was written, especially those Scriptures that are directly related to the unseen spirit realm. I'm saying that there are two separate realms of creation— Although both realms were created by God out of nothing, what I'm calling the supernatural, or unseen, or heavenly, or spiritual realm, all synonymous for the purpose of this podcast, is separate from the physical realm, which can be observed by humans. However, I'm also saying that the spiritual realm, according to the rules and parameters God has set, can and does interact with the physical realm. There is a third realm. It's the realm that exists outside of the physical and spiritual created realms. It's the uncreated, transcendent realm that only God exists in and has existed in for all eternity. It's the realm we do not know about or could ever comprehend with our finite minds. And I'm saying that heaven is real. 
Within the heavenly realm, there is a place called heaven proper, where the throne room of God exists. If we were given the ability to see heaven, it would appear as it did to Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, and John in their documented visions. There are beings and objects contained in the heavenly realm which indicate that a common designer who created the physical realm also created the heavenly realm. Heaven was created not only to accommodate those created only spiritual beings, but also what I'm calling trans-realm beings, those who once lived in the physical realm and upon their death became residents of the spiritual realm. Trans-realm beings also include those who never died, like Elijah and Enoch, who were just taken up by God. Hell is also a real place. It does not only refer to the grave or the place of the dead, but a place that the souls of the damned consciously reside as they await their judgment. Hell is also referred to as the abyss, where some demons have already been banished to. Some demons are being held there until the judgment, or until they're released for specific purposes at the end of the age. One day hell will be destroyed when it's no longer of use to God. And I'm saying that the supernatural realm is where God, in spiritual realm theophany form, has chosen to manifest His present and interact with His creation in an ongoing basis. While He's chosen to manifest Himself there, he still exists in all his fullness outside of both created realms in a form that no one has ever seen. Although other spiritual beings are referred to in the Bible as, quote, gods, unquote, Yahweh is the one true God and creator of everything existing in both realms of creation, including every being that resides in them, such as those who are referred to as gods or the sons of God. Yahweh alone is the infinite and perfect being that transcends both realms of creation. Yet, he's chosen to interact with his creation directly from within the spiritual realm. I'm saying that there are some similarities between the two different realms. From the created being's perspective, we all have free will to make choices, even rebel. From God's perspective, which represents reality, he is absolutely sovereign. God chooses to interact with both realms in a personal way, not because he needs our companionship, our help, or advice, but because it's his preference to do so. He does not react to situations as though anything was unexpected or unplanned. Although it does not seem like it from our finite perspective, he has foreseen, allowed, and even created every situation in both realms for reasons that may not make sense to us now, but which make sense according to God's perspective. I'm saying that within the unseen realm, there exist multitudes of heavenly beings. As a group, they're referred to as the heavenly host. They have various titles, ranks, and responsibilities. They have their own personalities, desires, and emotions. They are not robot slaves created with the sole purpose of acting as something like stagehands for the benefit of God accomplishing the story he is telling in the physical realm to humans. Like humans, God appears to love them, even calling some of them sons. 
Those millions of beings are witnessing the same story God is telling and playing their part in it like humans, but from the perspective of the heavenly realm. Now, I'm absolutely saying that the story God is telling in the Bible is a story involving all beings who inhabit both realms, and the entire story is a Jesus-centric drama. When Jesus was here the first time, he interacted in both realms. The Bible is not telling a physical realm-centered story. It's not all about getting people saved and doing good works. Those things are included in a much bigger story. Although many have been conditioned not to see it, the Bible is permeated with information relating to the storyline of the supernatural world. And I'm saying that God created the occupants of the heavenly realm, also known as the heavenly host, sometime prior to saying, let there be light, on the first day of creation. The heavenly host witnessed all of creation include God uttering the words, let there be light. Although some spiritual beings are referred to as gods in the Old Testament, all of those gods, which we today normally refer to as angels, were created by Yahweh, the Most High God. This one might sound strange or foreign to some, but I'm saying that God takes part in an assembly or council with certain members of the heavenly host and he interacts with them. The Bible refers to these beings as Elohim, or gods, just as it refers to Yahweh as Elohim. Although he does not need to do so, God asks for their suggestions and opinions and gives them direction. Among the heavenly hosts, there are those he calls the sons of God. We do not know the number of them. But just as those who have been elect to salvation will also be called the sons of God, these heavenly being counterparts may also number in the millions based on description given by prophets. A specific number of the sons of God have been appointed to specific tasks. Even though the sons of God is a really interesting topic, we don't know a lot about it. For example, we don't know if all or part of the sons of God make up the divine council, or if it's a different subgroup of sons of God that make up the divine council, or if the divine council, who are referred to as Elohim, is made up of a different order or rank of heavenly beings altogether. I'm saying that about the time of the Tower of Babel incident, God placed a certain number of the sons of God over regions of the earth that he divided according to the number of the sons of God that were designated for that assignment. There were likely approximately 70 of them, and I'll tell you why later. Yahweh himself referred to these beings as gods. These regional supernatural realm authorities are also called princes, as you would expect a son of the king to be called that have influence over geographic regions of the earth. It was also at that time, the Tower of Babel incident, that Yahweh informed the heavenly host that he would be taking a special people for himself, the people of Jacob, also known as Israel. The ways that the regional unseen realm princes can influence the physical realm have to do with justice, comforting the weak and needy, safety and security, and knowledge and understanding of God's creation. 
Likewise, in their rebellion towards God, these beings can withhold justice, allow suffering, cause persecution, cause deception, and withhold the truth. All of this should sound familiar, since many of these influences show up in the world of politics, the media, and education today. I'll be saying that there's been not one, but a series of rebellions in the heavenly realm in which various members of the heavenly host have and still attempt to thwart the plans of Yahweh. The first of those rebellions was led by the Nakash in the Garden of Eden, who deceived Eve. The Nakash is who we most often refer to as Satan, or the devil. He was created as a dazzling, anointed guardian cherub who was blameless until the day he became full of himself and rebelled against God. He was subsequently expelled from the heavenly realm and the Garden of Eden and sentenced to dwell on the earth. The next documented rebellion was by the sons of God who had sexual relations with human women to start their own race of people. The actions of their human offspring contributed to the moral degradation of humans. A third rebellion came in the form of the sons of God who were placed over the nations who both failed to do the job they were giving while accepting and even encouraging worship from those living in their regions rather than directing the worship to Yahweh. They even go so far as to deceive Yahweh's own people, Israel, and convince them to worship false gods. Although we can't be sure that every regional prince has failed to do their job and has rebelled against God, judging by the world we live in now, it appears they all have. There is no scriptural reason to believe that all those who have rebelled have been in lockstep with each other. Just as they rebelled against Yahweh in their selfishness, I imagine they don't get along with each other all that well either. The next rebellion involved a third of the heavenly host being persuaded to act under the leadership of Satan to destroy Jesus when he came to earth the first time. While here the first time, Jesus engaged in in in-your-face confrontations with the dark forces of the unseen realm. These stories are contained in the New Testament, and you've probably read through them a number of times without understanding the complete significance. There are still two major rebellions yet to come, a satanic-led rebellion at the end of this age and a final satanic-led rebellion at the end of the millennial reign of Christ on this earth. I'm saying that the divine drama that's taking place in the heavenly realm can have an effect in the physical realm. For example, following the sons of God interbreeding with human women, God sent a flood to wipe out the population of the earth which included the offspring of the sons of God, who were called the Nephilim. God later commanded and used Israel to wipe out the remnant of the descendants of the Nephilim that inhabited the land that the Israelites were traveling through. Haven't you ever wondered why God told the Israelites to completely exterminate some people and not others in the Old Testament? This storyline is often breezed through, but rarely recognized or understood. The Bible indicates that humans have worshipped many different forms of false gods. Gods that are completely products of their imaginations. Gods that are unaltered created objects, such as the sun and moon. Gods that have been created by human hands out of wood, stone, and metal. And gods that are fallen supernatural beings, 
that may be some of those that Yahweh himself has referred to as gods. Often these fallen gods, as well as the gods of the imagination and creation, may have also been worshipped in the form of idols which were fashioned by human hands. All the gods, whether supernatural beings or fashioned out of materials, are products of Yahweh's own creation. Yahweh is clearly in charge of all the heavenly host, including those who have rebelled against him. He restrains those who are in rebellion against him from doing even more evil. He judges and punishes them, or has promised to punish them. They all exist with the knowledge knowing what's coming regarding their ultimate fate. Where some may have believed they are immortal, Yahweh has informed them that they, like men, will die. I'm saying that the spiritual realm exists and is going on all around us, all the time. The only way that we know to what extent it does and how it affects us is through what's been revealed in the Bible, and from time to time when God has allowed humans to become aware of it. We're told that this realm has great influence over our world to the point that it is our main struggle is with it, rather than what exists in the physical realm. However, it's not to be feared. For the child of God, it's to be understood. And like we understand how to routinely walk in and understand the world we can see, we do the same for the world we cannot see. This is not spooky stuff. <laughs> it's understanding what's going on behind the scenes, according to our guide, the Bible. God gave spiritual beings certain capabilities. He set the parameters in which they may interact with the physical world. Those spiritual beings who are in rebellion, like the sons of God who came down to lay with human women, may choose to misuse their abilities. They can take on physical form and perform physical functions. They have the limited ability to foretell the future, even though it's them that may be in fact manipulating a future outcome. They can perform signs and wonders. They can possess or control the will of humans who have allowed that to happen. They can cause disabilities. They recognize God's elect. They will obey the commands that come with the legitimate authority of Jesus, who his father Yahweh has placed in authority over all of them. When Jesus came to earth the first time, what occurred was not only for the benefit of humans, but it was also a purposeful and detailed divine drama being witnessed by the heavenly host, some of whom are in active rebellion. It sent a strong reminder of God's sovereignty in what's in store for those who are in rebellion against God. Jesus obtained the credentials he needed during his first coming, which allowed him to be seated at the right hand of God the Father and be placed in authority over every creature of the unseen realm. I'm saying that a major way that Satan operates is through those humans who belong to him. Those who are not elect and belonging to God are considered, biblically, children of Satan. They are not puppets. I'm not talking about demon possession. That is real, but very few are ever possessed. However, Satan can cause delusion in his children and uses their sinful desires to deceive and manipulate them into doing his will. 
These people, for example, are those who make control decisions of what's taught in the schools, what's allowed on social media, what happens in Congress, and what we call entertainment, and what we hear on the news. And I'm not saying everyone involved in those businesses or industries are children of the devil. Don't get me wrong on that. But I am saying they're not only drug traffickers and sex workers. They're leaders of nations, successful business people, and even religious leaders. They may be wolves in sheep's clothing, false teachers and preachers within the church. It needs to be stated that the elect of God are not immune from being deceived and deluded by Satan also. It's just that the non-elect have few defenses against it, and the elect do. Satan can deceive and manipulate his children on a mass scale. I need to say this because not every Christian believes it, but since the resurrection, Jesus is no longer just a man with limited human abilities who now exists in limbo somewhere. He's currently not only in his resurrected form, but he's in his glorified form. He's assumed his place at the right hand of the Father, Yahweh. Every created being in the heavens, all angels, authorities, and powers have been placed in subjection to him. He intercedes for us there as our high priest. It's he who upholds the universe by the word of his power, because in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He not only knows who we are, but he searches our hearts and minds. He intimately knows who we are, better than we know ourselves. He is the second Adam who never rebelled. He is the second Israel that never failed and never bowed to a false god. He is the fully credentialed king of the universe. He is the monogonese, the unique son of God, in which Yahweh is well pleased. I'm saying that when a person dies, their body decays, but their spirit continues and has consciousness. If they are elect to salvation, their spirit will have consciousness and await the resurrection in the presence of Jesus. If they are lost, they will also have consciousness and await their judgment while in hell. Once Jesus returns to the earth and establishes his kingdom, those who he has purchased with his blood, the elect of God, who are also recognized as sons of God, will rule and reign with Jesus in his kingdom, possibly displacing the fallen sons of God who were previously given the responsibility of ruling and reigning over the earth since the time of the Tower of Babel incident. Now, what I am not saying in this podcast series, it is definitely not my goal to cause you to see angels and demons around every corner as the cause for everything we observe in this world. Human beings have a great capacity for rebelling against God and doing great acts of evil without any influence from the devil or his minions. I'm not suggesting that we live in a world of spiritual wizardry. I do not believe the fundamental purpose of the elect is to be spiritual warriors who are here to win this world over to make it possible for Jesus to return. Finally, 
Please don't confuse the topic of this podcast with other spirit-related issues, such as spiritual gifts or abilities mentioned in the Bible. If you're looking for a guide to any of those things, you're currently listening to the wrong podcast series. Well, next time, I'm going to talk a little bit about the uniqueness of the one true God, and then move on to elaborate about the reality of heaven. Until then, Maranatha, and may God bless and keep you. Until my next podcast, you can follow me on Facebook by going to the Doug Hooley Ministries page. I'm on Twitter at at Doug H. Ministries. And I'm on Instagram at Doug Hooley Ministries. Find out about what I'm working on and read some of my blogs at DougHooley.com. Or email me at Doug at DougHooley.com. That's Doug at D-O-U-G-H-O-O-L-E-Y dot com. I'd love to hear from you. This has been the Called Out Cafe. So long and God bless. Yeah.